everybody. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Harriet Kimmick with Down to Earth. And it's the show in which we talk about the issues that matter. So thank you so much for joining me this morning and for uh, putting yourself in a position where you'll be, you'll be able to hear from us and what we have to say. It's kind of like one of those things where we literally talk about what matters. So for those of you who are interested in taking a break from the conversation surrounding the political spectacle that Washington has become, thank you for joining us. I don't want to hear it. I've heard enough. And it is football season. And frankly, I just want to focus on, on fall and football season, although it doesn't feel like fall in my neck of the woods. It's more like winter. So we're having full-fledged winter. I mean, fall was like, hey, what's up? Bye. <laughs> and we're in full-fledged winter mode. I mean, we have snow on the ground. We have ice. We have black ice. We have wind chills. And so we're in full-fledged winter mode. So for those of us who don't have the luxury of uh, being on TV all day long and getting a chance to talk to people, this is real life for us. For real, for us, real life out here is not living or working in, in a 20 story on the 25th floor. Real life is right here dealing with the stuff that makes up real life, right? So I want to thank you for joining us and to uh, continue to support our show. Thank you. Uh, we are seeing our, uh, we are seeing people who are interested in our show. So I want to thank you. And if you haven't done so already, I'd like you to download and subscribe to our podcast. It's down to earth. There are a variety of ways that you can listen to us, obviously. One of which is through this medium, Log Talk Radio, Anchor FM, right? As well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Those are just some of the ways in which you can continue to listen to our show. So thank you so very much. And as you can see, as you go through... As you go through our show, once you click on subscribe, it will notify you when a show becomes available, when a new show becomes available. And if you miss a show or you perhaps just join us for five minutes, but while you're driving around in today's cars, right? The technology is such that you can literally just join us wherever you're joining us from. So it doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, in, you know, you sitting in front of your laptop or your phone all day, you can actually connect your phone to your car and you can go into Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts and you'll be able to hear us as well. So thank you so much for joining us, right? I'm a little distracted, right? Sorry. <laughs> They're moving things around around here. Anyway, because they just stop. but thanks so much. So today we're going to shift it a little bit and talk about the rate, infant mortality rate, maternal mortality rate, I think is the best way to describe it. And we're talking about why are women dying in childbirth in this country? Uh, especially we're seeing an alarming number of women of color, particularly black women, who are dying in childbirth. And it is of concern because it's happening right across the spectrum. You would have thought that this was confined to certain uh, socioeconomic classes. But what we are finding is that it's happening everywhere. It's happening to all women. Recently, Serena Williams gave her story. Morning, how are you? 
uh, Serena Williams gave her story, Grand Rising, thank you, honored, right? Uh, gave her story on how she was actually in the hospital, had given birth and developed what is called a pulmonary embolism, something that is a prior existing condition in her body and that she's familiar with. And when she tried to get the attention of the medical staff, they ignored her for an entire 24 hour period in which, <laughs> in which she could have, she could have died. Right? So I want to talk about why are women dying in childbirth? This shouldn't happen. You would have thought this was something that our grandmother's generation grew up with, right? Uh, perhaps to a lesser extent or our, our, our mother's generation, but it shouldn't be happening in our generation, right? Because uh, the advancement in medicine and technology is such that it shouldn't happen. I mean, just yesterday, I was at a forum at Oakland University. My daughter, my youngest daughter, is going to be a pre-doctoral student next fall at Oakland University. That's what they call them when they're good. They're not pre-med. Once they actually have started the semester, they refer to them as pre-doctoral student. And she was, she was really, uh, when uh, I was, I listened to a lot of the presentations and the advancement in medicine and the ways in which people think about medicine now has completely revolutionized. Uh, they, they now use robots to perform surgeries. Did you know that? In a lot of cases, hospitals are using robots. So the robot is programmed to perform the surgery and the doctors are standing and watching the robot perform the surgery. I don't know if that means at some point, like if you come in through an emergency room, you know, that kind of thing, if there's an accident or a shooting and people go into emergency rooms, if that is what they will do, if they will use robots, but they do use robots to perform routine surgeries that are recommended, surgeries that have been scheduled. So uh, in, in the case of the one scenario that I heard about was hysterectomy. A hysterectomy is the removal of a woman's uterus, whatever time that happens or whatever, right? And I, it was about a few years ago, I went to a healthcare forum and they showed me the video of what it looked like when the robot was, 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 you know, was performing the surgery. There was one robot in there. The patient was completely uh, asleep, was completely knocked out. And the, the patient was prepped and the robot performed the surgery. And the doctors were all standing behind the, the uh, view behind the screen watching the robot perform the surgery. Now, I don't know what that means for, uh, for, for medicine. If that is something that means we will need less doctors, if we, it seems to me that if we can use robots to do anything, I guess robots will soon be delivering babies or robots will be having babies. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to leave my robot, uh, any robot to take care of a baby of mine any day now. But when you think about it, if we have advanced so much, then why on God's green earth are women dying in childbirth? Seems to me that there are some inherent uh, biases that might be existing within medicine, right? So I decided to explore some of those myself to see how would it affect me. And what I found was that it was not as open as I thought it would be. There are certainly some preconceptions that are mostly confined to people's individual prejudices and biases. You know how we don't realize that we are prejudiced or biased until we're thrown into the situation? 
and then you realize that you do have some biases. You do have some biases about where people come from. You do have some biases about how people look. You do have some biases about interacting with different people. You don't know that you do, but they're there because it's part of how we're socialized as human beings, right? And so when I decided to look at this, I had to really, really, my friends, look at it. So I threw myself right smack in the midst of it to see what would happen. And one of the things I discovered was that based on who you are and your ethnicity, the medical system treats you appropriately. So if they look at you and you fall based on someone's individual prejudices, you walk into a doctor's office. If you are a person of color, they try to figure out which box do you fit in. So if you look like you're poor, uh, sucks to be you, they're gonna treat you really badly, right? It is real, right? Uh, and it's usually coming from the staff, but where do the staff absorb these ideas from? They absorb it from the people around them, right? And if you are of a particular ethnicity, they're gonna run the gamut of tests on you simply based on what they think your particular ethnicity is predisposed to whether it's true or not. In my case, because I look black and I guess I sound black and act black and I'm black, I don't know what else they're gonna do. They just say, okay, well, your prevailing ethnicity is this. So people of your ethnicity are predisposed to having high blood pressure, diabetes, and so on. And I'm like, stop. First of all, stop. I'm an individual. Stop. Just stop. Do you see what I'm saying? So the second thing, and for a long time, I would go to the doctor and I would just sit there and observe how they're treating me based on their perception of who I am. The other thing that they treat you based on is your insurance. What type of insurance do you have? They look at you and they treat you differently. How much money can they make? You gotta understand, they're looking at how sick are you likely to be? So how much money are they gonna make out of you? So like me, they don't like me too much because they're not making any money. They're not writing prescriptions. I don't have, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have what they want to be able to make, create a case around. But do you see what I'm saying? But at the same time, I am suggesting that everyone needs to be aggressive about your health. Ask questions. Do not be intimidated by the medical profession. When you go to the doctor, Ask questions of the doctor, not the office staff. Ask the doctor. Insist and say, excuse me, I have some questions about this and that happening in my body. Can you explain it to me? And if they can't explain it to you, then you need to go find a doctor who can. You call your insurance and say, this doctor is not responding to my needs. And the insurance will change it. Even if it's not open enrollment, they will review it and they will change it for your next visit. I kid you not. Right, because time time is up, y'all. The time is up for you to be treated in a traditional way by a medical system that is still heavily based on prejudices. Right? I found when I went to the forum yesterday that now the way they're admitting uh, students to the medical program has changed. I couldn't believe it. There's the traditional way, now they want a more holistic approach they actually refer to it as a holistic approach. They want well-rounded candidates because what they have realized is that the, the, the traditional way has excluded perhaps the best candidates. 
So you end up with people who have no people skills at all. They don't know how to talk to anyone. And they're so inherently biased, they can't even overcome their prejudices and biases to interact with people. The world has changed. We now have something called telemedicine. You know what telemedicine is, right? You have, if you're on Instagram, you find out that you can talk to your therapist any day of the week, anytime you want to. That's telemedicine. Dial up a doctor. And this, most hospitals now have it so you can interact with a doctor without waiting to see a doctor. So the era of telemedicine has arrived. We foresaw this 10, 15 years ago that this is where it was gonna go. And the time has come. So the traditional doctor, the traditional person who thinks I am God and beside me there is no other, and I am the Lord God who's going to tell you what's wrong with you today, that era is gone. But unfortunately, the biases and the implicit biases that created those scenarios and created those individuals, that system is not gone. <laughs> you see what I mean? So you find then that women are becoming pregnant and women get pregnant, go to the doctor and they're complaining, but it's almost as if you're invisible. One of the things that gets me about prejudice and implied and implicit biases is the fact that you're a whole person, but I'm invisible. Nothing offends me like making me, trying to make me think that you don't see me. There's nothing more offensive to me. I am a whole person. Don't pretend I'm not standing in front of you. Don't pretend that I'm not a person and I'm not asking you a question. And yet, that is what is happening to women of color, regardless of their social status, regardless of how good their insurance is, they're still being treated by a medical system as if they don't exist, as if they're invisible. This is why I go to the, I've been going to the same doctor for 15 years. I'm not changing because if I go somewhere else and you're not going to listen to me, I'm changing you quicker than I would than, than a New York minute. I kid you not because the time is up for that. And I don't have time to teach you any cultural context or any kind of cultural competences. Do you see where I'm coming from? It, it, this, this whole prejudice thing, this whole racial implicit bias thing is so endemic and so integrated into our systems that it's almost like, gosh, you need a coronary to get over this stuff. Because it is so endemic and so ingrained in people's thinking, they can't get over it. So you go into the doctor's office and the people who work for the doctor absorb the implied and implicit biases that suggest that if you're black or you are of your brown, then something is wrong with you and you should not be touched and you're not treated with the same level of deference and courtesy. They're not open. They don't talk to you. When you ask questions, they don't want to talk. And I'm like, this is not for me. I'm the kind of person who talked, speaks up. For years, I was going to my primary care and I just saw how they treated people. And how, and I, but I liked the doctor, right? So after a while, I didn't say anything. But then when I spoke up, you best believe they made changes. You know why? I'm a patient and I'm a member of the public. You don't want me to go on social media and say bad things about you. So they started listening. I noticed that the staff changed. They changed their attitude. You see what I'm saying? You've got to speak up. 
So here's a scenario where black women, educated, right? Financially stable, right? And I don't know since when those things have become a thing because white women go into doctor's offices and regardless of their social status, regardless of how much money they have, they're treated with deference and they're treated as if they're at least a human being. But the implicit biases that exist within medicine dictate that you're a whole person and you don't exist. It's like you're totally invisible. Like I'm not a person standing in front of you. I'm the kind of person who will say, look here, look at me right here. Talk to me. I'm standing right here. Right. And sometimes, you know, I've found that sometimes people don't like when, you know, I heard a, a person say the other day that they, they don't like when people are direct like that. And I'm like, but you have to be direct because a whole person is standing in front of you and you're treating them as if they don't exist. You're treating them as if what happened. So black women going into the doctor and they're complaining about stuff. You're pregnant, pregnancy. Anybody ever been pregnant it, until a man becomes pregnant, a man will never know what it's like for, because you, you guys probably think we just lay down and just make a baby. And then, you know, we just, we don't seem to do anything else. Are you kidding me? Do you know what changes your body goes through? Your whole body changes, your organs shift as the baby expands. You do realize that within the same body, the heart, the lungs, the kidney, all those organs have to be displaced in order to accommodate the growing baby, right? No wonder women end up with problems afterwards. Like my doctor was explaining, when a woman has a hysterectomy, her bladder that was sitting on top of the uterus just collapses. Where the heck does it go? I kid you not. <laughs> and this was me, huh? So, so, so where does it go? You know what I mean? When she was explaining it, I'm like, so where does it go? <laughs> Explain, <laughs> right? So the changes that a woman goes through and you go to the doctor and you say, I'm not feeling well, or when I wake up in the morning, I feel dizzy even after morning sickness has passed or when I eat certain foods. So you've got to listen to what they're saying. They're not listening. It's like you're invisible. I call it the invisible person. You're a whole human being with a whole personhood, a whole life. And yet you are invisible to the medical profession. So they don't see you. So you're complaining. They just have this thing in their head. It's just another black woman who is pregnant with a black baby. I kid you not, any day I come across an attitude like that in any healthcare professional delivering that, man, you're gonna see me on the six o'clock news. I am going to read them out. That is the most, and this is why medicine is changing and the practice of it is changing. Even medical schools are changing whom they're admitting to medical schools because you're passing people who can pass chemistry and biology, but they suck at being a human being. They have no skills whatsoever to interact with the public. They don't include and inculcate the person's whole being in their, ex their medical experience. Look at you and I, for instance, how are you going to separate me from my environment? Do you see what I'm saying? I come as I am, right? I come to you as I am, right? It's come as you are. So then if you're going to look at me within the context of me being me, that's your responsibility as a medical professional. If there is no other place where it matters is in the doctor's office. 
So you're talking to this person. The least you can do is give them three to five minutes of your damn time to figure out what on earth they're trying to tell you about their body. You know your body. You live in your body 24 hours a day. You can tell your uprising and your downsetting. You can tell if you're going to have a headache. You can tell if I eat that stuff, it's going to make my stomach squeak. So why shouldn't a medical professional give you the courtesy of listening to you instead of making assumptions? This is why I say develop. And, and some of us will say, well, when I go to the doctor's office, I try to be nice to the people. You can try to be nice all you like, but if they have implicit biases and prejudices, they're still going to mistreat you and not listen to what you're saying. So I am saying find some people who are going to listen and who are credible, right? And competent to act on it. There's such a thing as cultural competency. Do you, anybody knows what that is? This is why you love listening to me because you learn so much about life. Don't you just love it, right? I share my knowledge. I share my knowledge with you, right? But cultural competency is an important core characteristic that is necessary for interacting today with anybody. Cultural competence, it just simply means that you are able to translate someone's culture and you're able to handle people based on who they are, who they is, as they would say, who they are. That's cultural competency. But what they're finding is that a lot of people who especially the people who graduated medical school and who have been doctors under the traditional system, they lack cultural competency. They don't even try to be empathetic. Empathy, what the hell is that? I listened to a group of medical students last night expound on how important it is to be empathetic and sympathetic. And I was sitting there like, Lord, there is hope. Are they gonna graduate any day soon, <laughs> right? I was so amazed. I'm like, there is hope after all, right? And they were expounding on how important it is to be empathetic and sympathetic. Those are two words I've never heard doctors, in my experience, utter in their lives. I used to think they don't have any feeling. You ever wondered about that? Have you ever seen a doctor deliver a life sentence to someone and the way in which they impart the diagnosis is enough to make you say, boy, Sure, glad it wasn't me. The way they say it. A few years ago, when my mother was diagnosed with, with cancer again for the second time, we went to the emergency room because mom probably knew something was wrong but didn't want us to know, right? So we compelled her to go to the emergency room as a way of getting some sort of a diagnosis so she could, it would trigger the doctor, it would trigger everything else, right? So we convinced her she wasn't listening to me. I had been saying it for three or four months. She wasn't listening to me, so she listened to the others, right? So finally, we were at the emergency room. And the minute she went to the emergency room, I didn't take her because she wouldn't go with me. Because she says she's going to, all she said to them was, she's just going to argue and talk all day. She's just going to tell me what I should and shouldn't do, so don't bring her. So I said, okay. So then they called me, and they're like, you are going to come, right? And I'm like, does she want me there? And when I showed up, the doctor, I, you know, certain things needed to happen. So I'm like, why is mom sitting around here waiting? And the doctor said she needs to do this right away. So then they started acting. 
And but when the the doctor came, who had watched her scans, and the radiologist, when he showed up, the way he delivered that death sentence was like he was talking about he's going down to Starbucks to have a cup of coffee. I was like, huh? What do you mean by a mass? I'm like, define the word mass. What do you mean you see a mass? It's either you see it or you don't. What do you mean? How long has it been there? How did it escape you all? And she's been going to the doctor. So don't, so explain something to me. And the, the, the way in which he imparted it was devoid of empathy for the individual and for the survivors. So I sat there and I, you know, I looked at him for a long time while he was talking and I didn't say anything. So I said, would you do me a favor and call her primary care physician and notify him that we're here? I'd really like him to call us tonight and, and, and talk to us about this. And that's when he opened his eyes and looked at me. I said, oh, so I exist now. I'm a whole person. And when the physician called, I said, for the life of me, I can't understand why these people are imparting this kind of information like they're not talking about human beings and human life. Do you see what I'm saying? This is the inherent prejudices and biases. And I used to think that it was part of being a physician to not show feeling. No, it wasn't. That's just how some people are. And they just don't know how to say, I'm so sorry, ma'am, but, or I'm so sorry, sir, this is happening. There are other resources that our facility has. If you need them, please let me know so I can direct other people to come to it. That was one hospital experience. You know how I know that this is based on implicit bias? That hospital sucked. I didn't like the way they were treating mom. So I convinced her, I, you know, and I said, I want to move you to another hospital. I took her to another hospital for a consult. When I took her to the other hospital, here's how they treated her. Uh, Ma'am, so-and-so, uh, this is your daughter. Would you like us to share with you, with her, what we have discovered? And mom said, tell her everything. She's the one who needs to know. All of a sudden, no, I went from being the one she didn't want to talk about to the one who needs to know. And I kid you not, the way they explained the process, right? And the treatment and the alternatives and what happens. I was sitting there, tears rolled down my eyes. I'm like, thank you for being a person and treating me and treating mom like she's a person, like she's not just some number on a sheet. And they're like, excuse me, ma'am? Is that in your experience? Uh, did this happen to you? And I said, yeah, that's so-and-so and so-and-so, yeah. And he, they shook their heads. The chief of surgery shook his head. He said, we've heard that complaint before. But you won't find that in our facility. I'm like, well, that's why you're a winner. And they painstakingly demonstrated empathy and sympathy to the extent where they told me that the way in which you loved your mother and proved has proven to us if there was anything we could have done to prolong her life and save her life, we have done everything in our power to do that just because you love her and you she's important and valuable to you we don't want to see you hurt but you do have to go home and prepare your family <laughs> right but do you see what i'm saying the delivery is everything the way in which it was delivered they listened right they saw and they listened this is my mother i don't want to lose her she's important to us she's important to my family they listened
Do you understand what I'm saying? So many times what is happening is that people are invisible and the implicit biases and prejudices that exist prevent them from hearing what you have to say. You go to the doctor, you tell the doctor you got a cut on your foot. Uh, yeah, let's just stitch it up and put something on it and give you some antibiotics for an infection. They don't hear that, man, I got to go to work tomorrow. I can't stay home. Is there anything else that you can do to stop this bleeding so it won't come back? Before you know it, you end up with another situation and you end up back in an emergency room because you develop an infection because they're not listening. This is why so many black women are dying in childbirth because they're not listening. You're not a person. You're not valuable. The society and the inherent prejudices and implicit biases that exist have taught people to be cold right? If you go in rural America into the Appalachian mountains where there are poor white people, it's the same darn thing they do to them. They're poor white. They don't have any value. They smoke meth. They make meth in a trailer park or whatever.